2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Privilege to be here. Blessing to see so many people that um, uh, we've known for a long time. A lot of family memories uh, with many uh, of you all uh, here. And uh, blessing to be with Pastor and Mrs. Malinak as always. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, blessed to spend some time uh, in suits at church with them. And then also, and uh, just uh, some family fun times as well, uh, many times. So blessing uh, here. Thank you for the hospitality um, and all that has been uh, shown so far. We look forward to showing our uh, missions video this evening and pray that might be a help and a courage, uh, encouragement to you. Um, we do have back on our table there, um, I do enjoy books. And so I've got a number of books back there that uh, are some notable Baptist missionaries to the country of Myanmar, Burma through the years. And um, I, I often think that um, what, a, what a great thing it would be is if uh, after the missions conference, uh, missions revival time ends, if it could be extended, that spirit could be extended by committing to uh, be a regular reader of good missions biographies and that really kind of make missions a part of our life. Yeah. And um, I, I, I've uh, been blessed to, to find a, and to know, it's not just me, but uh, there's uh, not just uh, Adoniram Judson, but he had several, several co-workers uh, through the years and uh, wonderful books have been written about them as well. There's their life story and um, some of those are in print, but there's even more that you can find in digital form on Google Books. And uh, uh, for instance, um, Judson had a super, uh, very faithful uh, co-worker, a man, a, a man among men uh, named Eugenio Kincaid that uh, spent time with him uh, in Burma. And uh, Judson worked among some of the more populous areas uh, but uh, Kincaid, he was uh, the type of guy that went to uh, the the uh, lesser known people groups, the more primitive areas, and uh, the the more adventurous, the more dangerous, the more risky, the more he loved it. And uh, there's some wonderful stories about him taking the gospel to uh, not 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 Buddhists. Uh, they were the they they, they were the uh, uh, you know the. A, a large uh, a number of people in Burma Buddhist, but uh, but some of the people groups uh, they were just uh, animists. They, they worship uh, spirits and feared the spirits, and and uh, many of them didn't really have a written language. That's where he went. He got captured by pirates and and nearly died and escaped and had to run solo through the uh, through the um, uh, back country for days, barely surviving. It's an adventure story. So the man that wrote his book. Uh, entitled it uh, Hero Missionary, The Life uh, of Eugenio Kincaid. And I uh, just put that out there for all of us to know, especially those of us that might uh, still be raising uh, children or have an influence on our grandchildren, that uh, some of that reading, I'd say all of that reading is, 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 is good stuff for them. We read about real life adventures and excitement and enjoyment in serving the Lord uh, and I think that's uh, very important for us, and uh, we um, have that opportunity when we speak of uh, missionaries to Burma through the years uh, that there's some wonderful biographies about these men and their and their faithful wives. 
that endured, and I think many of the men and in missions history would point to their wife, uh, the inestimable value of a faithful wife through all of this, and uh, good for us to learn this and to be reminded uh, of these things. So blessing, uh, blessing again to to be here uh, with with you, and I'm really looking forward to this week uh, and spending uh, this time with you. I'll, I'll look here this morning um, at Second Corinthians chapter one, and so this is a follow up letter to the first uh, letter that Paul uh, wrote to this church that he loved at Corinth. But he really loved them so much that, that he, he, he said there's some things that you've got to get taken care of. You've got to get right. And he didn't know whether they would respond well to that or not. And I think that's a burden on people that preach and certainly a burden on pastors when they preach. Uh, how will the people respond to what I know that they need to hear? I know what's best for them. Lord, please help them to respond. Please help them to receive instruction and correction in the spirit in which it's given. Uh, for someone to be willing to correct us is is that's real spiritual courage on their part because they're risking something to do that, and so Paul risked affection of it's not just a church it is a church but what is a church he risked the affection of these individuals that he knew personally and loved by giving them some correction that they desperately needed for their own spiritual good, and so. When he wrote back to them the book of Second Corinthians, we learn in this second letter that he was joyful because they had received his words and they had received his correction and they had humbled themselves and they had made things right and they'd gotten right with each other and they got things, uh, doctrinal things taken care of. They'd gotten even personal things taken care of. And so he writes back uh, here to this, uh, and it's a, it's a joy for him uh, to write this uh, second time back after he'd heard their um, uh, their repentance and their clearing of themselves uh, that they had gone through. This first chapter of Second Corinthians gives a little bit of uh, where Paul's at uh, in even his personal life. He's sharing some personal things with them. Um, and uh, the, the life of Paul was a challenge. It was a challenge. It seemed at every turn there was another, just another major obstacle in front of his uh, life. Well, we'll talk um, uh, a little bit today about uh, one of the first missionaries, uh, foreign missionaries from England that went to India named William Carey. And certainly when we think about his life, it was I, I describe it as just a, a series of the next impossible obstacle that he had to face. He got over one, and it was like before he knew it, there was an, he faced another impossibility. And so I think Paul's life in some times felt like that. But what's interesting about this passage is what Paul points to and what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about a life that has this seeming uh, constant wave of obstacles is that with each of those obstacles comes one of the greatest um, uh, things that the Lord has given to us, and that is His promises. And so we're going to talk today about this idea living by God's promises. 
In the midst of the obstacles, the trials, and often the deep suffering, we are never forsaken by God's great promises for us. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll read verses 7 through 10, and then we're going to hop down and then read verses 15 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Frequently, we'll keep reading in a minute, but frequently in a minute, frequently in Scripture, the Lord will, uh, has, uh, the Holy Spirit had the writers record the words that express their own, their, their own humanity and their own frailty. Mm-hmm. And we need that. Mm-hmm. We're grateful for that. Um, because we are human, we are frail, and there's, there's time in our life that we might face where we despair of life, and someone that gets into despair has nearly lost hope. Despair is the absence of hope. Paul himself, some people like to say the greatest Christian, had however many seasons of life where he had wondered if life was could keep if he could keep living, if it was even worth continuing to live. Pressed out of measure, pressed that feeling that you can you can go for a walk, you can go to out to eat, you can go somewhere, but that feeling never leaves you. You can try to do something, that, but that feeling of being pressed, being squeezed, being weighted down, difficult taking the next step, uh, <clears throat> symbolically and sometimes literally as well. Verse 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, that's in the past, and doth deliver, that is in the present, and look at the last part of this verse, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, and that's the future. God's been good to us in the past. God's been God in the past. God's promises have been true in the past. God's good to us now. God's promises are true for us right now. And God's promises are good for our future as well. He delivered. He doth deliver. And we trust, we believe that he will deliver us. Then down to verse 15. And in this confidence... I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness, or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? 
But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, that's co-workers Silas and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Verse 20 explains what he's been saying about the yeas and the nays uh, leading up to this. So in verse 20, this is the summary statement for this. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. In other words, in these times of tremendous difficulty and trial, it's not as though uh, the promises of God are good sometimes and not good at other times. It's, it's not that the God is uh, going to work sometimes and he's not going to be working other times. Verse 20 simply means that all the promises of God that are given to us in Scripture are positively and always true unto God's own glory by us. God's promises are true and can be believed and can uh, we can stake our eternity on them. Uh, the great hymn writer Isaac Watts, who wrote some of the most wonderful hymns that we sing, said, I believe God's promise is enough to stake my entire eternity on them. That is the God whom we serve and the God who has given us these promises. In 1812, in March, William Carey, the missionary to India, was awakened uh, to uh, cries of fire outside of where he uh, lived and where his, uh, his uh, missions work and the printing work was set up. And he came out to see uh, his entire warehouse, which included much of his printing uh, material and equipment up in flames. Um, <clears throat> he had been on the mission field for about 20 years and uh, was at a time in his work where things were starting to really prosper. Uh, he had a trio of men. He had two men with him. They formed what was called the Serampore Trio. Uh, one man was known for his great preaching ability, Joshua Marshman. One of the co-workers was known for his ability to print and to print uh, uh, in, a, in a way to get a lot of materials out quickly. And he was skilled with that. And his name was William Ward. And uh, William Carey himself, certainly his strength uh, lied in, in, in languages and linguistics. So he was the great translator. And they had... Uh, got they had they had overcome so many hurdles and got a wonderful printing uh, set up going and they were uh, printing the Bible in many languages but on this night March eleventh eighteen twelve most of it not all but most of it was up in flames fourteen different language printing blocks for translations of the New Testament were destroyed with no backups twelve hundred reams of paper were being burned up as well as many other invaluable manuscripts lost. The one thing that was preserved to save was the printing press itself. And within just a few short days, William Carey, Joshua Marshman, and William Ward were right back at it, retranslating, reformatting the printing blocks, getting paper shipped in, and continued despite the circumstances 
At the end of his life, William Carey would say, I'm not a skilled man. I'm, I, I'm, I don't have great talent. But one thing that I've just been committed to do with my life is that is to plod on, to move forward, to face the impossible obstacle and plod my way, just steadily work my way through that and trust God for what the circumstances of life bring are bringing to him. And so this fire did not stop them. Neither did the loss of loved ones, the terrible misunderstandings that often took place even among the missionaries themselves, the difficulty that the British authorities brought into their life, sicknesses, and much more. And somewhere along this line, in in, in the midst of this time period, One of the most wonderful quotes given, and I've truly appreciated those missions quotes in Sunday school. Every time I hear every one of those, it's inspiring once again. But another quote that came from, uh, attributed to one of two missionaries, either William Carey or or Adoniram Judson himself, was this. The future, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And so William Carey, his future wasn't dictated by the difficult circumstances that he looked at, the future was in the hands of the bright promises of God. And that's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen. Let them be so unto the glory of God by us, living by God's promises. We'll pray and then continue. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be here at Berean Baptist Church. Lord, so many uh, wonderful friends, Lord, and, and uh, uh, being able to, to, to fellowship here among believers in your house. Thank you for this church, Lord, for the lighthouse that it is here in Ogden and beyond in Utah, and then beyond that in the support and the effort in world missions. Thank you for our Sunday school Uh, class that we heard this morning. May we all reassess our uh, purpose for life in the time that we have left here. Lord, I pray that you would use uh, renewed vision in our hearts, uh, Lord, to help us to let the loss that we know around us be a burden, uh, Lord, to burden us and to drive us to our knees, then, Lord, to drive us to be faithful witnesses as We seek to open our mouth boldly for you. We ask God you'd bless our time. Thank you for your promises. Lord, bless us uh, together as we look into them here briefly today. In Jesus' name, amen. But trusting in God's promises is another thing from stating that we believe in them. There comes that time we have to trust in God's promises. In other words, we have to step away from the steering wheel and the gas pedal and sit in the passenger seat, which for most men is not something that we particularly enjoy doing. Because the moment we do that, we can't keep our eyes open. We're driving late for some reason. And uh, we have just need a little bit of time, a little bit of time uh, to, 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 to get maybe 30 minutes of sleep. And so if you're like me, it has to be a desperate situation for me to surrender the steering wheel and the driver's seat to my wife. But I've had on occasion to do that. And uh, when that happens, my problem is solved. And it's not because I got 30 minutes of sleep. 
It's because when I push that passenger seat back and close my eyes for a minute or two, inevitably the tires hit the rumble strip on the side of the road. And I pop up out of my seat and grab the imaginary steering wheel that's in front of me on the passenger side that's not there. My feet go down and hit the imaginary brake pedal that's not there. And I've got all the energy and awakeness that I need to drive me through the rest of the night. So we pull over, we switch back. I'm happy and my wife is happy. I'm back at the steering wheel. I do not like to be, I just don't like to be a passenger in, in a vehicle that's moving. I'd rather, I'd just rather be driving. I think that started young. Uh, our family in, the, my dad had a business and uh, you see the Midas uh, service centers around here. Uh, so he bought into that franchise when I was about four years old that moved us from Baltimore, uh, Maryland area where all his family was at. And uh, he had a, a very uh, good job there at the Aberdeen Proving, Ga Proving Ground working uh, for the government. But he really wanted to go into business. So that moved us uh, to Parkersburg, West Virginia. We didn't know anybody there. Uh, but uh, he worked that business and it took long hours, six days a week. He'd be out of the house six in the morning. We'd often get picked up from school. Um, praise the Lord for the Christian school we're able to be a part of. But mom would pick us up often at five o'clock. Uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be waiting there, you know, while the principal's doing his work and there we are and pick us up and we'd go not home, but back to the, back to the business. And, uh, we'd be in the waiting room entertaining the customers until the shop closed. And after that, we'd figure out ways to entertain ourselves. And, um, and so it was a lot of, um, a lot of long days. Our family kind of grew close together because we always were together, uh, because half the day was at school. The other half day was at the, at the shop. So if you grew up in a home of a small business, uh, uh, owner or uh, operator, you know, you know, those, there's no hours, there's no eight to five. Um, but, um, one of the things that that brought about was a yearly meeting. And at the yearly meeting for the Midas, uh, franchisees, they would often uh, hold it at a, a big, um, uh, San Diego or, or Orlando. So a couple times when I was young, our family got to go to, uh, Orlando, the late seventies. And uh, so my dad, frugal man that he was, uh, had purchased a brand spanking new car in 1972, a, a 1972 Volkswagen Super Beetle. Super didn't mean that it was like super size. It, I don't know what it meant, but it meant that uh, wherever the Armacost clan went in those days as a family, we were in the Volkswagen Beetle. So uh, it was real exciting during the wintertime. You know, somebody drove and the other person scraped the inside of the wind, uh, windshield out because they're defrost. Uh, I don't even think they put it in. They didn't even try. Uh, so exciting times in there. And he goes, you, you, if you knew the old Beetles, if you fell asleep in one of those and laid your hand uh, face down on the seat, those uh, those vinyl seats with the big knobs on them, you'd come up with like a temporary tattoo. Uh, that, you know, you like get that off your face there. So we loaded up that beetle. You know, of course, the, 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 the luggage all goes under the bonnet in the front because the little engine that could or could not uh, was in the back. And uh, we uh, took that all the way down from Parkersburg, West Virginia to Orlando, Florida. And so busy days for those meetings, but in the evenings... Uh, uh, you know, dad wanted to do a little fun, uh, something fun with us. So he found a go-kart track. I'm like, oh, I think I was 
seven or eight, I don't know. Go-kart track, yes, I mean, I'm dying, to, I'm a guy, I'm a boy, I'm dying to drive my own whatever, anything I can get my hands on. So we go there to the go-kart track and getting ready to start that. And, oh, we got to stand up here by this little funny character that's got his hand out here. And you got to be that tall to drive your own. Otherwise, you get to be a passenger. Well, I grew up in a home with a sister who was three years older than me, who was, at that time, certainly taller than me. And so she goes up there and stands. Oh, yep, you hear, here's your own go-kart. And I'm thinking about me. And I'm thinking about about the spot where that little goofy character has his hand up that I've got to measure up to. And I, my heart's starting to sink. So I get up there and I'm like three, two, three inches too short. And so here's my sister driving her go-kart around the track. And here's my dad driving his. And here's me as a passenger in a go-kart. And my sister goes by and she had fun with that. She let me know that she had her own and I did not have my own. She was driving and I was not. The next thing I said, dad, please, 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 can I get, buy some socks and put them in my shoes so that I please, I begged him to let me stuff my shoes three inches, <laughs> three inches higher so I could drive my own go-kart. He was not, he was too, you know, he was too honest for that. I hated not being the driver of that go-kart because I wanted to drive, you know, and we like to be the ones that have a pretty good handle on the way our life is going to unfold too. We like to be the ones that can stop when we want to stop and can go as fast as we want to and can steer that vehicle of our life where we think it's best to go. But invariably invariably the Lord is going to send into our lives some any number of circumstances that are going to test our trust in him and our willingness to scoot over to the proverbial passenger seat and let him take us where he knows that we should go, where we need to go. And that is the test. That is the Challenge. This is activating our belief that we say that we have in God's promises. Do we believe them enough to act on them? Isaac Watts said, I believe God's promises enough to venture my eternity on them. The promise that for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life, God's promise. Amen. If you're saved here today, you are putting your trust in God's promise for salvation, and we're putting our eternity into his hands. And so, God's promises. I'll quickly take, the, the, the Bible is so filled with wonderful promises of God. Uh, and so I'll take just a little bit of time here this morning and summarize these promises by, by using the word promise itself as an acrostic. So we'll look at promises of God through the letters of the word promise, P-R-O-M-I-S-E. And we would say, first of all, the letter P of the word promise, that God's promises to us are precious. 
2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partaker of the divine nature. How about that? Ye might be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Great and exceeding precious promises. The Bible calls a number of things precious in Scripture. Proverbs 3, wisdom is called precious. Psalm 116, the death of a believer is called precious. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, God calls our faith when it is tested precious. Those tests, those trials, those obstacles that God brings into our life are a precious test for us. The shed blood of Christ in 1 Peter is called precious. And in 2 Peter 1.4, God's promises are called precious. What does the word precious mean? What is something that is precious? It's something that we hold in the highest esteem or hold close or hold to be dear unto ourselves. God's promises are precious, and they are given to you and I. They are the invaluable needs of our souls. God's promises are precious. The second thing I would say, the letter R of the word promise, is that the promises of God relate to our very salvation. It's on God's promises that our salvation rests. Galatians 3.22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those that believe. Ephesians 3.6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I love this verse, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First John two twenty five, and this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. These promises that God gives um, to us relate to the most important thing that we can think of, and that is our salvation. It's on these promises that we rest. We rest our eternity on them. The letter O of the word promise, and this is where the promise gets put to the test. The letter O, the promises of God are observed by faith. There's an entire chapter in the Bible that talks about people that had God's promises, even though they did not see them with their physical eyes at that time. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They came to the place with their understanding of God's promises that that meant this, their time on this earth meant that they were going to be strangers and pilgrims. 
This world was not their final stop. This world was not their final home. We have a great simple song about that. We're just passing through. And when we observe God's promises by faith, we come to that same conclusion because we don't see often in our life the full effect of what we believe God's promises express even in our lifetime. That does not mean that they're any less true. We observe them through what was spoken of in Sunday school and we'll reiterate today through those eyes of faith. Observing God's promises by faith puts us in the in the, in, in the place of being a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. Not at home here. Hebrews 11.39, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, Abraham apparently never made it out of a tent. But he had God's promise for a city. He knows all about that promise now. So we can look at those men and ladies in the Bible that believe God's promises by faith, that may not have received them in the physical uh, way that they may have thought that they were going to receive them while they're on this earth, but we can see how God fulfilled his promise to them. Not having received the promises, but having uh, not having received them, having seen them afar off. So what do men do today about God's promises? They laugh at God's promises. They mock at God's promises. Where's the promise, for instance? Where's the promise of His coming? Everything's going the same way that it's always been. This world is sort of just like on its own. It's running its own way. You're going to insert God or that, and you're going to assert some bizarre doctrine that God is going to come back to this earth? Where's that promise? I don't see it anywhere. So, so they mock God's promise about that. So, because they feel that there's no return of God and return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a corresponding truth to that then is that they don't see themselves as one day facing a righteous judge, then their life become the, becomes theirs to live. Yeah. So, 2 Peter 3, 4 tells us about these that mock the second coming. Where's the promise of his coming? Later, the Lord says, the Bible says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So, so, so what does that mean? The mockers say, where's the promise? God says, I'm not slack concerning my promise. Here's what it means. Any delay in the Lord's coming to this earth is an act of grace and mercy and kindness to the very ones that are mocking the idea that he could come back. Continuing to give them time and space to repent and to turn to him before he comes back to this earth. And so... 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19 speaks of the allurement of the lusts of the flesh. And uh, this is promised to be liberty. Liberty right now. When in reality, this makes a person a servant of corruption and brings them into bondage. All that we could see God's promises through the eyes of faith and understand that delays in his promises, delays in his coming are either for our own good or for the good of those that don't know him yet to give them more space to repent.
God's promises, his word, were good in the past. They'll be good in the future. See the future through the lens of God's promises. When Adoniram Judson left uh, Boston area, he was uh, he and his family were fairly wealthy and had had a pretty pretty good life. And uh, their home in Boston apparently had six rooms. Uh, one of his journals back home uh, to those uh, that he was communicating with said, "We prefer our one room here in Rangoon on the mission field uh, to six in Boston." We feel that we are highly blessed. Just another person seeing this life, observing God's promises through faith. And then the letter M of the word promise, um, I think this is a special, a special point for all of us. In the promises that God has given to us, he is merciful to us when we doubt them. He is merciful to us in our doubts. Um, we think of some great men in the Bible, uh, manly men, rugged men, bold men. I think of John the Baptist. I think of John the Baptist. I think of Elijah. Both of those men, compared to each other through Scripture, had one thing in common. They had times when Promises weren't real clear in their mind. They began to doubt. They began to get into despair. Doubt can creep into any one of our lives. Even despair can. And even in the midst of that, God is merciful to us when we doubt. Um, Thomas walked with the Lord Jesus Christ and was close to him. Wasn't there when Christ first appeared and made the bold statement, I'm not going to believe it until I can put my hands in his, in his hands. When the Lord saw him next, he did not dress him down and say, find somebody else to follow Thomas. He said, Thomas, come on over. Go ahead and put your hands here in my uh, hands. uh, Put your hand on my side. Be not faithless, but believing. He was merciful to even doubting Thomas because he knows who we are. He knows that we are weak. And um, in this, God is merciful uh, John the Baptist said at the end of his life, is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Or are we to look for one more? Think about all the great statements John the Baptist had already said about Jesus up to that point. He's in prison. He's wondering. Circumstances weren't very promising at that point in his life. I think we're all going to get to that place sometime when circumstances are very promising. And it's at those time where I think we often learn the mercy and the goodness and the love and the compassion of God more than ever. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand, my righteousness. It's dark sometimes, and we can't see maybe the next step. We don't understand the next step. Uh, on occasion... My wife and I might be talking with uh, one of the young people from uh, college, and maybe they're going through a difficult time, and and uh, they, they they need some help. They don't maybe not thinking right or not seeing things right. And, and uh, we we shared even just recently with with uh, someone, hey, th- this is the time when you reach your hand into the hand of people that know you best and care about you and love you. God's given you parents. God's given you uh, pastors. 
Let them guide you through this time. Put your hand in their hand and let them take you through this time. And uh, when it's uh, our kids are getting ready to cross the street and the street's busy and they're young, we take their hand in our hand until we are past that place of danger. And there are times when we have to put our hand in God's hand, God's hand that promises he will help us, he will strengthen us, uh, he will be with us, he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, and walk through the time where we don't make sense of everything else that's maybe going on at that time. Joshua was pretty fearful before that battle of Jericho, and the Lord came to fearful Joshua and had to tell him, be strong and of a good courage. And he stood beside him. One man said this, Sometimes God shows us after the fact that he did do exactly what he promised during the exact time that we were doubting him. God is merciful to us when we, when we doubt. And in those times of doubt, put your hand in the hand of the Lord. Put your hand in the hand of someone that God has given you in this world to be your guide. We praise the Lord for young people. Praise the Lord for your parents. Okay, There'll be a lot of voices. There'll be a lot of dark, a lot of different things going on. Stay with those that care about you. Stay with those that know you, that'll guide you through. Praise the Lord for the gift of a pastors for local churches. Okay. Merciful to our doubts, letter I from the word promise. The, the promises of God are inspiring. And by inspiring, I mean when we lay hold of them, our feet start to go into action. God give us purpose for living and things to do. 2 Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises. Here's our book of 2 Corinthians. Having these promises, what's a response? You've got the promises, Church of Corinth, members of the Church of Corinth. Now, here's what to do with them. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Why? God promises he's coming back. And every one of us are going to be doing one thing at the time that the Lord comes back. Let's be found doing what's right. Let's not be ashamed before him at his coming. When he comes back, we want to, uh, for, for that to happen, we want to, be, we want to do that with confidence and boldness, not in shame. And so these promises are inspiring. So when we lay hold on the promises of God, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of this flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in God. Repent of the sins of the flesh, the spirit. Seek after holiness. Live in the fear of God. Why? Because we believe and know what is next for us. We have God's promises. We find ourselves excusing our flesh, justifying a sour spirit, indifferent. That might be the sin of the day. Mm -hmm. Indifferent and apathetic about holiness. Thoughtless about the fear of God. Let's Remind ourselves of God's promises, and that can change us away from that. The promises of God is what puts the Christian life in motion. It's what gets the engine started, and it gets it moving. Uh, it puts the it puts us in action in our family and the spiritual life of our family. One pastor said this: When our children see us clinging to the promises of God. They can grow up trusting in his goodness themselves. 
Belief in God's promises put our feet in motion in his will. William Carey, that missionary to India, said this, There are grave difficulties on every hand, and more are looming ahead. Therefore, we must go forward. I would have thought that quote when I was reading it the first time when it said we have to hunker down. We have to be very, very cautious. No, he knew the way to get through that storm was to face it and put that ship right into those waves and move forward with the difficulties crashing and and more coming. What a great statement. Letter S of the word promise. The promises of God are satisfying. This world's not satisfying. The things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, living in the flesh is not satisfying. It's a temporary fix. It's not permanently satisfying. Living in the promises of God live a, give, pr- pr- produce a very satisfied spirit in us. Jeremiah 31. Of anybody that had to learn how to be satisfied in the promises of God, despite the circumstances, might be the weeping prophet Jeremiah. He had great success during the start of his ministry because he was preaching to King Josiah, who was cleaning up the temple and reinstituting all the things that had been dropped. Well, then Josiah got killed in battle uh, at at a younger age, and then Jeremiah had to stay faithful through the next four kings, none of which wanted anything to do with serving God, and then into the captivity. So Jeremiah had to talk to himself. He had to learn how to stay satisfied with God's promises. And so he writes this, Jeremiah 31, 14, And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Oh, to get to the place when the goodness of God alone satisfies us. Hudson Taylor said this, When the heart submits, then Jesus reigns. And when Jesus reigns, there is peace. The submitted, obedient heart puts the Lord on the throne and gives us peace. What a great promise. Lastly, the promises of God are eternal. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Hebrews 9-15, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The promises of God were here before you or I came into this world, and they will be here after we depart this life. That's a blessing to think of if you have children. What's it going to be like for them? I don't know, but I know this. They're going to have the same promises of God that I had and that God has given from eternity. How about those kids that come in on the bus? What about them? What can we say about them? We know this. They have God's promises too. The kids in our Sunday school class, the kids that come to our vacation Bible school, what can we think about their future? We can say they can lay hold on God's promises. Jennifer and I often talk about the fact that uh, we've been really privileged to work with young people at the, at the college for many years and understanding that the fact that as we've grown older uh, doing that, uh, every year there's more young people and uh, God 
can use the things that are taught to them years and years and years in their life long after we're gone. God's promises work that way. So what do we need? What do we need? Hebrews 10.36 tells us, here's what we need. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. God's ways are not our ways, and his timing is not always our timing. But patient belief allows God's promises to be activated. Abraham, in Romans 4, the Bible says, he staggered not at the promise of God. Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. We want to live on the side of God's promises. Missionary William Carey, when I left England... My hope of India's conversion was very strong. But among so many obstacles, I would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God, and his word is true. The future is, as William Carey said, as bright as the promises of God for you and for me. God's promises are precious. They relate to our salvation. They are observed through faith. God is merciful to us even when we doubt those promises. They are inspiring. They bring real satisfaction. And they're eternal. They're not going anywhere. We thank the Lord for Him uh, providing us with these wonderful promises. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it's filled with promises for us today. Lord, we know that on any given day, any number of us, Lord, are going to maybe wonder where those promises are at or we're going to need them. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to your eternal word and your wonderful promises in them. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to find them activated in our life, inspire us with them, Lord, so that we can uh, be Christians, not just of belief in words, but Christians of action in our life.